All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Um, hopefully, everyone's having a great conference. I know I am. Um, this is my fourth reInvent as an AWS employee and sixth overall. And again, it's amazing just to see everybody out here willing to learn. And the engagements I've had over the week's been fantastic. So hopefully, everybody's having a great time, like I said. Um, my name's Carmen Puccio. I am a principal solutions architect within the AWS Container Program. Um, prior to joining the Container Program about a year and a half ago, I was in the AWS mass, mass migration team. Um, so we're going to tell a story today around uh, mass migration and the tools and the techniques that you can use. And to be honest with you, it's kind of wide. And I wouldn't do my segment justice if we didn't talk a little app modernization and a little serverless. Um, so we're going to do that. I'm joined by Andrew Bryden, who is a distinguished engineer from the National Australia Bank. And he's going to essentially you know, dovetail the conversation and talk about his journey and how it aligns with the tools and the techniques and the things that worked for him and the challenges that they overcame. So with that said, you know, we're going to kind of paint the picture of where we're currently at. Um, everybody in the room pretty much knows the current landscape. Uh, but the thing that I like to say is, is there's still a lot of work to be done. We talk about, you know, people have been running in AWS for a long time now. They're having tremendous success. They're modernizing their applications. But there's still a lot of real estate that they have to figure out how to move over. Um, and what we're going to try and do is talk about the various different tools that will get you over that hump, if you will. Um, and the one thing I hear a lot from customers is, where do I start? So what tools will help me discover my data center? What tools will actually help me break down my application? How can I actually get the application over with minimal downtime? And then once I've moved it over, thinking about essentially you're not done, how can I take that application to the next level? Um, so we're going to kind of hover around those themes. And then again, we'll go into some of the more app modernization stuff towards the end. Um, when we talk about essentially how to start, we talk about the, the migration approach in questions, right? And we're still on the current landscape slide, sorry. So we talk about this one. And what this is is essentially our mental model. And it breaks over three phases. So the very first one is essentially the preparation in the business case. So you're never going to move an application until you understand the return on investment. So what are my current costs? And essentially, what am I going to save? And then that leads directly into portfolio and uh, discovery and planning. And the thing to, to think about here is, is you, know, you don't want to leverage your CMDBs. CMDBs are decentralized. They're out of date. They're only as good as the last person that touched it. It's a flat file. It doesn't give you any resource utilization metrics. You can't use it necessarily to right size. Um, so you're, you're, you're really shortchanging yourself if you're thinking about a CMDB in that planning phase. The other thing you don't get is essentially your application dependencies. Thinking about when an application is, is running over the course of something like 30 days, who knows what it's actually interacting with. And you want to figure out not necessarily just what is it talking to, you want to measure performance as well. Are there any latencies? Because that goes into planning, right? Like what am I going to actually like move this thing into AWS and how am I going to set up my security groups? Um, is the application going to move all at once? Am I going to be able to do a hybrid scenario for a little while? Like this is where you basically break down what the application is doing. And then you get into the last phase, which is the design, migration, and validation. And essentially, the thing that's key here, we have a lot of tools that will help you here. We're going to talk about some of the lift and shift tools. So whether it be the server migration service or Cloud Endor, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but the, the, the key thing to call out here is, how do I track progress overall? Again, we have a lot of these building blocks that help you get over the hump. But how do you see all this in that centralized plane of, plane of glass? And I'll, I'll go into that as well. So to think about that, that mental model that I was showing before across those three dimensions, the business case, TSO Logic, an AWS company. I was their solutions architect for my first two years at AWS before they became an AWS company. And what they do is they essentially come into your data center, and you, and you bring them in, and they discover your environment and give you a right-sized analysis right from the get-go. Right? So basically saying, I see this many servers, I see this many VMs, uh, these are the operating systems, and this is essentially what I think you could move to. Because again, you're not going to move like for like. Your whole goal is the same, save costs. So TSO logic is a great starting point. So when we would go into these engagements and we would start to basically create the, the first level business case, we would use a tool like TSO logic to get started. The other thing we would do, and it, it's got a different name now, where it's called CART, um, essentially, we would do, um, it, it was almost like a questionnaire, where you're essentially working with the teams, the, the CIO, the dev teams, the operations teams, the security teams, and you're going across the various different perspectives of the cloud adoption framework to figure out, essentially, where you're at. 
right? Different organizations have different skills and they're essentially at different phases in their journey. They might need help in the security space. They might need help in the operational space. So this, this engagement is meant to help you figure out exactly where to pinpoint your efforts as part of the migration. So our ProServe teams, the AWS partner teams can help you through that journey and essentially tailor the migration effort based off of where you need the most help. So again, to go a little deeper into the, the readiness and planning piece, these are just some of the tools, right? I'm not gonna go into all of them in detail. I will talk about the hub and ADS um, in, in a little bit of detail, but essentially what we're trying to say here is you need to think about these things in the very beginning, right? And the, the key thing to call out here is the application discovery service, and I'll show you how that works, and I'll show you how you can use that in your migration efforts. Um, but what that's gonna do is imagine that scenario where you've gotten that business case, but now you need deeper discovery. You've already gone through, you've kind of figured out what you've had, maybe you've used the TSO logic to get some cost, you know, idea of cost, but now you need to figure out what to move, how do I group all my applications into a consistent data set, and what's their utilization? And that's where you're gonna use something like that. Um, the migration hub is a natural fit with ADS, and I'll show how the two work together. Once you've gotten that far and you've figured out essentially, okay, now I have an understanding, now I wanna think about moving some of my applications, what tools and techniques can I take advantage of? Cloud Endor, an AWS company, I was also their SA when they were a partner. Um, they're a fantastic tool for two reasons. And the first one is, is they do a really good job in that lift and shift scenario. They do block level replication of your application from source to destination, whether it's a virtual machine, whether it's a physical machine, or whether it's one cloud provider to another. Um, they essentially allow you to fine tune the RPO, RTO, and essentially snapshot your virtual machines, or think of it almost like a diff, um, and figure out when you wanna move. Um, some customers are not necessarily you know, happy about the idea of installing agents on their machine, the AWS Server Migration Service helps there. And the cool thing about Server Migration Service is when I first started using it, the, the replication window was really high. I think it was something like you could only go down to like 12 hours or something like that. You can get down to an hour now. So it does the exact same thing with, with the diff, but essentially now you can get down to an hour. So that RPO, RTO for your migration teams, you can fine tune that to essentially you know, fit, your, fit your migration strategy. DMS is one more that I wanna talk about as well. Database migration service, besides the fact that it fits nicely with schema conversion tool, maybe you're going from one engine to another. Um, the, the one thing that I really liked about that, and I saw this when I was out in the field, is we would use it to backfeed back to on-prem. So think about a scenario where you're going to go to the cloud, and that's great, and you're gonna move it to AWS, and you're, you're doing the replication, it has a real-time replication, and it's going to something like RDS, and that's great, you've moved it, Fantastic, but then at the same time, your dev teams want access to production data. We would actually back channel it, because you could actually send that data back through the replication engine that it has inside of it. So the whole thing is, is you can actually move it to the cloud, and then you can use it to send it someplace else as well. So it was a really cool tool to actually get our development teams working with the latest data sets. So when they wanted to take that application to the next level and start to break apart things like monolithic applications, DMS was super powerful in that scope. And then lastly, you're not gonna do data or not gonna do a migration without essentially the data transfer, right? So everybody in the room should know about Snowball and things like Direct Connect. The point that this slide's trying to make is again, these are the holistic view of all the tools that we offer that helps you along the journey. And if you think about the overall landscape and if you think about that mental model, um, this is essentially it. And what we're trying to say here is regardless of your scenario, we have something that should help you get over that hump. Um, so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna double down and we're gonna talk about discovery, we're gonna talk about the migration hub and how all that fits in. So for folks that don't know, the Migration Hub's been around, I think, for almost about two and a half years. It was launched at the New York City Summit. I, I wanna say it was 2016, I believe. It might have been 2017. Um, but either way, think about an application migration. That's, that's, one, that's one moving piece, right? And an application migration is not just a web server, it's not just a database, it's the sum of all parts. And you wanna basically visualize that application just like that, as one holistic unit. And the, and the Migration Hub does a really, really good job of allowing you to take all of the pieces that 
essentially something like application discovery service finds in your data center and combine it into a holistic view. And if you think about that over the span of a large scale migration, you have this, this consistent view into what's happening. How many migrations have I done? How many are in progress? Are there any errors? Let's drill down into those errors. So think about that central plane of glass. Right? It does a really good job. The other thing that it allows you to do now is it also allows you to right-size some more. So imagine you went through that right-sizing effort earlier on. You can actually double down and go a little bit deeper into right-sizing once that data is into the hub. So application discovery service, uh, this, this is a fantastic tool, and I don't want to shortchange some of our partner tools. We do have a migration competency which has tools that fit in this space as well. And these tools are very sophisticated, they have a nice UI around it, and they give you a, a, the exact same data, it's that, that holistic view. I found a SharePoint server, I found an Exchange server, whatever it may be. But this is the AWS version of it. And essentially what this is, is you have the ability to deploy agents to your Windows machines, to your Linux machines, and it's gonna sit there and it's going to send this data to the application uh, discovery service control plane, which then obviously just streams right into the migration hub. And the thing that's cool about this is you get detailed information, and I'll show you the information that it collects in a couple of slides, but things like not just necessarily OS and CPUs and memory, but it goes down, it shows process level information, it shows network connections. So if you're thinking about the actual planning effort, you need all of this data. And I'll give you that, that whole view in a couple of minutes. But that's the first level. And we've had, again, customers that are adverse to installing agents on their machine, and I get that. You have to go through their security departments. So we offer another a version of it. And that's the, essentially the, the, the connector. So if you have a vCenter environment or if you have Hyper-V, you can actually utilize this version and it works the exact same way, but the, sh the, the shortcoming of it is, is it doesn't go as deep on the discovery. Um, you're getting things like CPU and you're getting memory and you're getting disk IO, but it doesn't necessarily give you everything. But the one thing it does give you is a single shot into what's going on in your environment. And what I've seen is, once customers realize the value of, of showcasing all of that data, they are willing to double down and then use the agent and kind of pinpoint the servers they want to do a little bit deeper investigation on. And that's fantastic. The other thing that we have is the ability to import from existing sources. So remember I was saying CMDBs aren't that great. We realize that customers have them. We realize they want to take advantage of them. So you do have the ability to bring that data in from an existing source. So once it's in there, you have the ability to then go into the hub, fine tune that application, or fine tune those, those applications as a whole, and figure out how you're gonna move them. Um, the other thing that's kind of cool here, and I'll show this as well, is we have integration with Athena and QuickSight. So remember I was saying some of the partner tools, like whether it be Cloudscape, Risk Networks, um, they have the ability to kind of showcase all of this in, in one you know, holistic uh, UI. We leave it up to you to kind of build these things, but what we do is we pre-populate the Athena database based off the information that we discover. It's really up to you and your teams to then kind of build your QuickSight dashboards around what's important to you. We give you pre-canned queries, so things like, you know, maybe I want to view inbound and outbound connections. Maybe I want to look at some of those, uh, essentially, you know, what's talking to what. We have some pre-canned queries up on the AWS documentation that'll allow you to build these UIs. So when, when you think about this as a whole, and I actually want to just advance this. This is, this is the scenario, right? And, and I'll show you how this works. So you have ADS, and ADS is streaming this data. And what we would typically say is 30 days is a good snapshot. Any, anything less doesn't necessarily collect the whole portfolio or the, what that application's really doing. It might be a cron server, just something that only fires once a month, whatever. You don't want any surprises. So over the course of 30 days, you're streaming this data into the hub, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to essentially get the data completeness. And I'll show you what that looks like, but it breaks across multiple dimensions. It's not necessarily, again, just the OS. You wanna think about network interfaces. You wanna think about running processes. You wanna look at the overall performance. You want to look at all the network connections, and I'll show you what that looks like. The other thing you can do, obviously, is bring that data in from a CMDB, the exact same thing, but you're missing some of that data. So you're really going to have to double down and work with your application owners to figure that out. So once that's done, you have the ability to then go into the migration hub, and you can do this whenever, as soon as it starts up, but you can essentially say, start to feed Athena, or populate Athena, and it'll pre-populate Athena with what looks like this. <clears throat> So here's the databases that it'll create, right? And if you think about what I was talking about before, 
host operating systems, network interfaces, processes, system performances, network connections. Again, this is super important information, and it doesn't matter if you're picking up an application and doing a lift and shift, um, or if you're thinking about breaking an application down, maybe you're trying to put it into a container. Maybe you're gonna try and refactor this application. You need this kind of information to start to kind of disseminate this, how this thing works as a whole. Um, so here's a, here's a simple example of something that you could do or something you could build where essentially what we're saying is, is give me all of the operating system info that I, ha that I found via discovery. And it's just a simple little SQL statement that's saying, okay, you know, OS is give me all of the distinct uh, host, host names and break it down um, by OS info. And what you would get was this, right? And that's, that's pretty straightforward stuff, where it's like, okay, I have a bunch of Windows 2003 servers, end of life, I'm probably gonna start looking at those first because again, maybe there's some sort of licensing constraint. But what you can do from that, again, is you, and this is just a very simple example of the QuickSight UI, but then you can start to build these dashboards for your teams. Right? And these are the kinds of things that I think are super powerful where you can actually use it to send out reports because uh, QuickSight has the ability to email reports out to your teams. But this, is, this gives you the flexibility to essentially build uh, you know, you're, you're, you're almost your own migration discovery tool or your own migration discovery UI. So how to migrate. Once you've discovered this data, like what am I gonna do next? And I wanna show this slide, this is an old slide, but it's been reused many, many different times in many different talks, and you might have seen it in the older format where it was kinda less compact. But the point to this is, is this is along the various different R's of migration. And the, what we're trying to say here is, is just because one path seems shorter than another doesn't mean that it's not going to have its own challenges. You're not gonna to have to account for a different tool. Um, you really need to think about your planning and strategy. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily easy, regardless which way you go, you just have to think about these checkboxes. And we're trying to make that easier by giving you tools in the automation to essentially get you over that hump. So what tools would I use? So again, you would probably start off in that lift and shift mode. You're gonna think about the AWS server migration service. Right, really powerful tool that we've seen a lot of success with. Um, super awesome. What it does is it's actually creating AMIs in your account. Um, so as it's uh, essentially replicating over, you're getting these AMIs in your account, and then from there, it's really up to your practitioners to think about how they're going to launch those things. You know, maybe you're gonna write some CloudFormation templates, or you're gonna try and build that into a pipeline, but the whole point is you already have a working artifact inside your account. Database migration service, I went through that scenario where essentially it's that real-time replication engine. Maybe you're going like for like, maybe you're changing the schema, but either way, that's the, essentially the way that you can get your databases over. That's not to say that tools like Cloudendor can't do it. We've seen it. We've seen success where they're actually doing block-level replication of databases. Um, so maybe it's not necessarily going to RDS. Maybe it's going to EC2. And it's not that DMS can't do that. It's just maybe the practitioners are familiar with the Cloud and Door tool and they wanted to use it. So they were using Cloud and Door to, to move the databases. It's a completely viable option. We also have two other tools that are partner tools. And again, we have that migration competency. Uh, and that's Atom Ocean and River Meadow, also integrated with the hub. But the cool thing about this is, is if you're running these migrations and essentially you're, you're executing, right? You're moving servers, you're thinking about lifting and shifting, or you're, you're running a database replication. If an error happens, you can visualize that and drill down to that in the hub. You don't have to go bouncing around from various different, you know, from tool A to tool B. You see that in that central plane of glass, which is, which is really, really powerful for your teams. The other thing I wanted to highlight was account structure. And most folks in the room are probably familiar with the concept of, of multi-account now or line of business account. And if you think about the way that, uh, whether it's Control Tower or, or the AWS Landing Zone project, like what we're trying to say here is you need to think about how you're going to migrate your applications into these line of business accounts. Maybe you're doing it for security reasons. Maybe you're doing it because it's easier for billing, right? But as you're moving, and I've seen migrations of like 14,000 servers and up, you have to think about how you're gonna target these individual accounts and how you're gonna do it quickly, especially in like the lift and shift scenario, right? So these tools, again, like something like Cloud and Door or something like the server migration service allows you to do this, but what you're looking to do, and I've seen some of our consulting partners do this, and our ProServe team as well, is build automation. And 
I, I was responsible for building the solution with another SA, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of this one. This is essentially taking that, that model of multi-account and using one of the tools, and you can see it below, it's, it's Cloud Endorer again. They have a really slick API, where essentially what we're saying is, Every time you need to spin up a net new account to migrate workload over, maybe it's app A, app B, app C, whatever, you can essentially kick off uh, essentially an offering from Service Catalog. And that Service Catalog will invoke a CloudFormation template, which then invokes that Lambda function, which we call the account vending machine. And what that account vending machine is going to do is it's going to call the organization's API and bootstrap in a brand new account. And in that account, we fine tune it where we do things like we delete the default VPC, we set up the Cloud Endor IAM access because Cloud Endor needs IAM permissions to actually replicate over. So we're automating all of that. And then once that's done, the resulting payload goes down to that, that bottom AWS Lambda Cloud Endor function you see there. And what happens with that is we're saying, okay, we have a new account. Here's the VPC, here's the security groups, here's all the information you need to create what's called a project. Right? So if you think about this at scale, you now can fire off and create this cycle where your teams aren't going and, you know, and launching that new account and trying to tie it all together. It's a very clean and, and concise way of doing this. Um, again, this is something that we, we put up on the AWS partner blog, or I'm sorry, the marketplace blog, and we open sourced the code as well, or it was probably about maybe two years ago, where I actually showcased how you can use the Cloud Endor API to take this even further and then subsequently migrate the workloads. So if you put all of that together, you have a really clean way of doing a lift and shift at scale. But again, it's, it's not just lift and shift, right? So I just wanna go into this, this, this simple example here. Look at this example where it's essentially you have two servers. These two servers might be Windows servers, they might be Apache servers, whatever, and they're talking to some sort of database. Maybe you used server migration service and you launched some AMIs and you replicated the data from you know, on-prem to AWS using something like DMS. The thing that, that about this is, is where I personally believe it falls short, and, and we, we feel pretty strongly about this, it's, 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 a, it's an evolution, right? It's never just pick it up, move it, and be done with it. You want to evolve. And there's a challenge around just picking up and moving something. It's called day two operations. How are you going to monitor it? How are you essentially going to make sure that you can patch it? And, and I love that we released AWS, the image builder. I think that's fantastic. When I was a customer, I was using tools like Packer to do stuff like that. But essentially, what you're trying to do is, how can I react to change in this model as fast as possible? Right? So again, how am I going to release software? How am I maybe going to decompose this application and give my developers the power to try things out Maybe it doesn't work, they fail, okay, let me try again, quickly deploy to it. Again, there are tools and services that allow you to essentially bootstrap and build this, but at the same time, it's not as fast as it could be. And this is why we like the container route, right? So I, I challenge customers with this. If your teams have the time and if they have the willingness to learn, and to be honest with you, they should. It shouldn't necessarily be a question anymore, right? You want to get to that pattern where you're cloud native. You want to think about 12-factor applications, and containers are that vehicle. Um, there was a statistic. We just released an AWS modernization blog, if folks have seen it. But essentially, look at like somebody like Ancestry. Ancestry was basically in a migration, and they went from 400 Windows servers to uh, AWS, but they broke it down from .NET to .NET Core and took advantage of serverless and containers in nine months. So I think it was less than nine months, actually. Right? That is tremendously powerful because what that gives them is the agility that you see here. I'm just going to let this build. Right? So now think about that mode where your developers need that ability to break that app down, deploy quickly, or your operations teams have to respond to a security incident. Um, maybe they need to patch the underlying container OS that you're utilizing, and they need to do it very quickly, but they also need to make sure that it, it works, right? You want to be able to test it as part of the deployment lifecycle. This model gets you there. This is the way that we want to see our customers go. And again, it's not all just containers. You can achieve this with the serverless model. And in reality, you could do it too with EC2. But what I'm trying to say with this slide is you don't want to think about the, the pets model with lift and shift. You want to think about how can I get to something like this where I'm empowering my development teams, I'm empowering my operations teams to essentially be as agile and as quick as possible. So again, you know, your developers are going to take something like a Docker image or they're going to just take the code itself. They're going to put it in something like CodeCommit, CodePipeline, or one of our partner tools can actually go kick off a workflow, 
you would then build that image with your artifacts inside of something like code build, and then it's gonna go deploy to ECR, and the service will launch based off of code pipeline invocating, um, let me just, one more button, I think it draws. There it is. And then code pipeline's actually gonna deploy that service. And we've even taken that further, and we've made this even more powerful now, Services like AWS Fargate and services like Amazon ECS and EKS, they have integration with AppMesh now, AWS AppMesh, which allows your teams to actually do things like canary deployments. And it's amazing because you can now be super slick about how you're gonna deploy this app, how you're gonna test it, how you're gonna send a little bit of load over all through the API. Really nice, really clean, and it just basically gives you that agility that you really want to get to. And you might be asking yourself, like, that's great. Like, how do I do it, right? This slide's something that we've been using for like the last probably about year and a half, two years when we talk to our consulting partners and our customers about how would I break down an application as part of a container migration. Um, again, you're gonna need the teams to understand the tooling. It's a little bit different in terms of tools, but at the same time too, figuring out the source application should go along these lines, right? Never start hard. You're gonna get your teams essentially ramped up. You wanna to get to that point where you can think about how can I do this at scale? So you're gonna target those easy servers. But if you think about all of that discovery data that you found before, this is what you're gonna to use to essentially say, okay, I'm gonna try these servers first, right? And a good example is something like secrets, right? So if you think about a 12-factor application, you are not storing database connection strings and usernames and passwords inside of files on that container image. To be honest with you, you probably shouldn't even be doing it inside your EC2 images either. You should figure out a bootstrapping mechanism to make that essentially an, an immutable object, right? But thinking about secrets is something that's really important. So if it has essentially a static file, think about that .NET example. You have a web.config file, or maybe you have um, an application uh, config file. That's just sitting in there, and you can externalize that as part of something with, like maybe you wanna use AWS Secrets Manager, or maybe you wanna use a, a third-party solution to do that, but the point is, is as that container launches, regardless of the environment, you can then pull in the information that makes it unique, right? So what's the production database username and password? What's the staging username and password? What's the QA, whatever it may be? But the thing is, is you're using a singular image, which is super cool, and gets you to that point where you don't, you don't run into that issue where, oh, it worked on my machine. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of moving to that container model. So this diagram, again, we've been using it for a while. It's actually built by Red Hat, one of our partners, and I think it's just it's a really good example on how you would get started if you wanted to go down this route. The last thing I wanna say before I pass it over to Andrew to talk about the things that he saw in, in, in his engagement and as part of his cloud innovation is <laughs> it's really, this is the fun stage. Like, this is where you wanna be. You don't wanna kinda copy what you were doing inside of your data centers. You wanna get to the point where you get to what we call the innovation flywheel. So if you've seen AWS slides for probably about the last two years, you've seen some format of that. And what we're trying to say is, is you want to experiment as fast as possible and get the feedback. You wanna have the monitoring and metrics built into your application so you can understand, is it working, is it performant, and can I get to a point where, okay, it's not, how do I feed that into a new idea, try again, and if you fail, that's fine, because you know what? You can actually try again very quickly because you have a quick way of deploying net new changes to your environment. So again, maybe you're trying to drive costs down. Maybe you're reacting to a business change. Maybe you're reacting to a security environment. You need that kind of agility. So I'm not sh shortchanging the lift and shift route because lift and shift has been very successful. We've built a lot of success around that, but it's, it's very important for customers to realize that it's not finished at that point. So with that said, I wanna pass it over to Andrew because he will talk about some of the things he saw and how he optimized in his environment, so. Hi everybody, uh, I'm Andrew Bryden. I'm a distinguished engineer from National Australia Bank. Just gonna give you a little bit of background about us. So we're a 160 year old company. We're the largest business bank in Australia. Uh, and we're in the top 20 banks in the world. Our technology environment is reasonably large and complex, so we have over 2,000 applications and uh, powered by something around 11,000 servers. Um, so why did we go about our migration to cloud? What, was the, what were the problems that we were trying to solve? We had a number of them in, in the environment. Uh, we had lots of uh, risk around our technology, 
we were struggling to get um, customer features out to, um, uh, out to our customers as quickly as we would like. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we, had, uh, we, we uh, were modernizing our technology to have the best talent in our organization. Um, we, we started this journey with thinking about what are the pillars we're going to anchor ourselves around. So what are the principles that we need to think about? Uh, and one, the first of those is, is our, our cloud-first strategy. So that means all of our new applications were going to be born in the cloud. They were going to be deployed there first. Uh, and then we thought about, well, if we're, we're, we're re-architecting our applications, they would also be via microservices and APIs as a, a first approach. And uh, lastly, we had uh, data as the key differentiator for working with our customers and getting, our, getting the best, for, best uh, product updates for them. Now, we also then had to think about how do we start, and that's one of the key things. There's lots of options here. There's lots of opportunity to spin your wheels thinking about where can you, where can you focus first in your organization. So we did some work with uh, AWS ProServe and one of, our, one of their partners to initiate a program called 30 and 50, so moving 30 apps to the cloud in 50 days. And we've narrowed the focus down on a specific set of key criteria to identify those applications. Um, and worked really hard within our organization to have a cross-functional focus team that was able to support that, um, that migration with key executive support. So um, the most senior people in our technology organization on call able to immediately unblock anything to help uh, the applications flow through and into the cloud. So that was key for us setting ourselves up for success. Um, so we, uh, we also, key to that is, is one of the things you have to remember, is that if you're making decisions, the, the decisions you take have other options, so you have the opportunity to uh, go back through the door. So this is an AWS expression, Rem remembering that you, you should always have a two-way door for everything that you do. So we also had to enable the cloud platform for this, this mass migration and, and key strategy that we're undertaking. So, and obviously being a bank, we have, have to think about compliance and security. So how did we ensure that we provide the guardrails and the base for our team to be able to deploy safely into the cloud? So we have a, a lot of security and, and in depth in our cloud deployment. So obviously we're using, we're using AWS organizations. We have, SC, we have SCP rules applied across all of our accounts. Um, we also look at the services that the teams are going to deploy, and we evaluate those against the NAB security standards before we make them available to the teams. So not every service is available to the teams as, as they come into the cloud. So there's, a, a, there's, a, there's a, a bit of work for us to do there just to check that, you know, do they meet our standards? So that's things like, as a minimum requirement, we have uh, SOC 2 compliance that we apply uh, before we'll look at using a service in the cloud. Um, we also built a compliance engine that's, that's checking all of these services against our standards so that teams um, cannot have public open S3 buckets, for example. Um, and we ensure that there's the right level of alerting and, and dashboards available for our security team to be able to respond and remediate those activities. Um, and we're, we're now starting to automate those remediation activities as we build confidence of what, we, what we're doing. One of the things that 30 and 50 did was help us identify bottlenecks in your organization. And these are, these, are, uh, these are probably to do with the way your support organization is designed to work around your current IT environment. And you are probably going to end up uh, really um, impacting some of those teams. So uh, the, the, what highlighted for us is teams that are doing uh, activities today on-prem, uh, we in massively increased the volumes of requests into those teams. So firewalls was a good example for us. We went from, uh, we went from a specific number of firewall requests a month to five times that as we started increasing the velocity of our application migrations. So we had to focus in and spend some, some time with those teams, first of all, supplementing those with additional people, but also a parallel strategy of looking at how can we apply automation 
um, and start automating as much of those steps as, as possible. So removing those bottlenecks um, long term. So, and also in our organization, we moved to a different operate model for the cloud. So we had, have uh, the teams that run the applications, so we are, are also uh, operating those ap applications and, and the cloud environment within their accounts. Um, and this is a, a build, build it, you run it model. So we, um, we, we encourage the teams to innovate um, themselves uh, and we don't, um, don't restrict them uh, to, in that innovation at all. So we also had to support migration tools in the environment. So this was a, an interesting one for us. So um, initially, we focused on replatforming, um, but we also started to introduce uh, uh, the uh, tools that, that Carmen was talking about earlier. So a specific example of that is Cloud Endure. Now that was a, an interesting one as a conversation with our security team because that tool is essentially uh, gives you the ability to data exfiltrate out your organization. So if you're looking at that from a security person's perspective, that's something that, that needs a significant amount of guardrails around to be operated effectively in a compliant environment. So we, um, we, we, we had to build all of that in before we were ready to be able to use that. So that was a, a treatment plan that we're, we're start, starting to rapidly um, enable in our organization. So we... We also gave the teams some, some, uh, some parameters around how they needed to think about the migrations for, for their specific applications. So anything that's modern, so within a, a reasonably recent modern uh, operating system, so Windows 2016, Windows 2012, um, that, could that can easily be lifted and shifted out into the cloud with relatively little change. You know, replicate that out into an AWS account and get it up and running quickly. Using tools like uh, uh, DMS, so the Database Migration Service, um, that was, that's key to uh, taking, those, taking those databases out into the cloud quickly, and that's something we've been making a lot of use of to support our migrations. And, and data is a, data's, Data is a tricky thing because the larger the database is, the longer it takes to do that replication out into the cloud platform. Uh, and that's something we've, we've noticed uh, and had to manage quite, um, quite tightly. Now, we have focused mainly, I'd say, around replatforming of our applications to date. So we've ha we have some legacy in our environment, and that has the, the profile that's fitted us um, for the applications that we've looked at to date. So we're uh, around 14, 18 months into our journey, so we're still, we're still looking, and as I mentioned, we had about 2,000 applications, so we're still tackling probably the easier to medium type applications in our environment. Um, and as we start to move into the more complex ones, um, we are moving into more into re-architecting of our apps because that, uh, those are the things that are giving the most benefit for our customers. So the teams have these parameters that they can start looking at um, how their application should be migrated. Then we have a program that is supporting and helping and supplementing their teams to be able to actually perform the migration activities themselves. Now, the expectation that we have is that it's not a centrally run um, piece of work that the t all the teams must use. The teams themselves need to upskill and become familiar with the cloud, and that's a key thing in having the technology organization become comfortable with working with the cloud long-term, is that everyone in, in the teams has to be cloud-trained um, cloud and, be, and be comfortable working in that environment. Now, as we've expanded our migrations, we've focused in on how do we create repeatable things that every team can pick up and use. So we have uh, created libraries of infrastructure as code. We have, um, we've looked across all of the op options on the cloud and how do we make use of them. So we have server-based applications. We've been refactoring into serverless uh, and containers. And they, the um, tools that we are building ourselves have been very focused on, on being built on top of serverless, as we see that as a, a key enabler um, when we come to re-architecting apps and building new, in fact. So 
Uh, and the last thing here is we, um, we've become more, and fo more focused around the financial aspects of our cloud platform. How do we, how do we ensure that we're using our, our, the cloud in an optimal way? So we have, uh, now we have as our default approach to deploying into non-production for our environments, we use spot instances, for example. And that's, a, that's another thing you have to think about as you scale your cloud platform out. Cost is something that you have to be, be very aware of. And the earlier you build some of these things into your, um, in, into your deployments, the, the easier it is to manage, manage longer term. So think about it this way. That even every small increment of cost or change that you require to do has a, a butterfly effect because you've got, in large environments, that goes across everything that you have to do. So it's, uh, it's, it's something that the earlier you, you deal with and, and the earlier you think about, uh, the more effective it will be. Now, this, this is an example of some out-of-the-box um, migration thinking that we had the teams do. Um, in our organization, we, we, had a, um, we spent a lot of time looking at this. So I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Lotus Notes, if you've worked with it before, but um, we use it in a number of key areas in our, in our business, and um, uh, it's built up organically over time, and it was actually a complex problem for us to solve. We spent a lot of time working with consultants. We had lots of options on the tables around what we could do, but none of them actually fitted in with a, a, a business case. Uh, it just didn't work. So we had to come up with another option. We, spent, we put one of our senior engineers on to have a think about or, or look at alternatives. Um, and he, he proposed uh, taking these, what are essentially usually web pages or a web page with a simple database, <laughs> Let's start, let's see if we can just move those into uh, Lambdas. So we looked at S3, because that could be a, an option for a, a static website. But in our, in our organization, we have uh, no public S3 buckets, so that wasn't an option for us. So that's why we went back to Lambdas behind an ALB. Uh, and we built the first one of those um, as, a, as a proof of concept. So that was successful. So then we looked at how do we scale because we had, eight, we had 1,800 of these to move into the cloud. So the only way to do that is to automate. Otherwise, you would be doing this manually for years. So we've now moved into, uh, we've now been able to create some automation around taking the original page and automating it through into a Lambda. And the team can now uh, get through about 20 of these in a day. Um, and they're looking to scale that up even further. So we should be able to complete the migration of all of these within about six months, which is a, a massive improvement on what we were expecting. And obviously, being on Lambda, um, it's a much lower cost model for things that are potentially not used that much, but are still key to some of our business functions. So yeah, just reiterating there, it doesn't, the things that you think about, you need to also have business benefit and make business sense. So um, sometimes we, um, do, we do technical enablement and we don't always have the correct business case associated with it. That's one of the key things to keep reiterating and remembering when you're going through this journey. I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about refactoring and re-architecting applications. So we, um, We've, I work in the platforms team in our business, and um, we have now uh, taken a lot of the learnings, a lot of the security and compliance aspects that we have to think about when we think about development and re-architecting apps, and we, we've built that into a platform for our developers to use. So the key thing here is that um, when you stand up an environment in our organization, there's a lot of compliance steps that go along with it. So we, we wanted to automate those, as much of those and go as high up into the stack as possible so that when a developer joins our organization and starts rewriting that application into the cloud, that they can pick something up and use it and be efficient as early as possible. Now, the key to, to that in not making uh, a central team a bottleneck around working is having a contribution model. So 
We have everything that we do around the platform is on GitHub. The teams can contribute to it, and that can be folded back into the model. So we can get, we can have thousands of engineers across our organization that are able to contribute to this and build it rapidly um, and effectively uh, with the security and baseline built in. So that's key, key to everything we do, being secure and being compliant. So where are we today? So we have uh, over 400 applications in the cloud. Uh, and they are on, in varying types of, of complexity uh, and um, business criticality to, to our organization. Uh, and as you can see, we've gone uh, rapidly, up in, a rapid increase in that number of apps since, uh, in the last 12 months. And we are looking to scale that out even further over the, over the next couple of years. The key things for that were we had a massive amount of top-down executive support and bottom-up support to do this. So this was something that everyone in the organization wanted to do. We, um, we uh, looked at the, the application footprint for our organization and, and thought about where can we start? What, what are the best things to work on? And, and focused in on one key activity to get us moving. Um, we, we feel we, we thought pretty big around how to, uh, how to get going and where we want to end up. And we set some goals for the teams so that um, they can get, they have something to aim for. So that goal for last year was 400 applications to, in the cloud. And, um, so, and so next year that will be potentially double that. We'll see how we go. But, uh, or, or something even bigger. But I encourage you when you're thinking about this, have a goal for the teams. Um, Think about what, what, they, what they need to do to keep them motivated. Because it's a marathon, not a sprint, in an organization our size. So we have to keep moving, and we have to, we have to adapt. Now, what we, what we have seen is that there's a lot of bottlenecks and hurdles and things to overcome at the beginning. But then you get through those, and you're, all of a sudden, you're, move, you're moving in a, 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 a consistent way and, and rapidly getting your apps out into the cloud. We spent a lot of time educating our engineers. So our organization uh, has trained uh, over 4,000 people in, in AWS, and we have uh, over 1,000 certified AWS engineers. So that's the largest in Australia, uh, and has really been key to helping us on this migration journey. So. We, we, we built our own guild in the organization, and that is its own education body. And that just is running training courses week after week on the cloud and working with the cloud in the NAB context. And we also focused on creating new roles in the teams as well. So how can we have uh, as many cross-functional teams as possible? Because that's the key to keeping things moving. So uh, autonomous teams that are able to um, not have too many dependencies outside. So, I've already, already covered off some of this. So, it's a, excuse me, give me a second. So, it's, it's been a good journey so far. Um, we have a lot more to do. Uh, we have, uh, there's a lot of complexity, obviously, still in our organization that we have to, we have to build out and build out on the cloud. Um, we, are, uh, we are focusing and doubling down on our microservices-based um, applications. Uh, we are looking to have as many of those migrated out into cloud over the next 12 months. So we, we're trying to remove and focus on what it gives us the most benef business benefit. So part of that is, how do I get as much infrastructure out of our data centers? and start to really reduce and remove those, the, the, um, the, spend, or the spend that we have in our on-prem environments. So that's something that we, we see as key in the next 12 months. Now I'm gonna hand back to Carmen, who's gonna do some, uh, do a summary and uh, yeah. finish you, up. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. So I'm gonna, let folks take a picture of this, because these are a couple, even though they probably have already run. Um, as you well know, the, the videos will be up on YouTube, and they're pretty quick about it. 
Um, that's not to say that these are the only talks here uh, around this topic. I think the point that, that essentially, hopefully we conveyed over today is to, to Andrew's point, it, it is a marathon, it is not a sprint. There are tools inside of our ecosystem that will help you get there quickly, but there is essentially a whole component that you have to work around to get to that point that I was talking about earlier. And to, to an extent, Andrew was talking about it as well, in, in where you get your teams working as a cohesive unit. And it almost becomes like a copycat game where the, the culture kind of, it, it just, it's almost invigorating seeing your teams kind of learn and experiment and, and, and succeed, right? So the thing I want to call out here is you're here to learn. You guys hopefully have learned a ton this week. You got your hands dirty in some workshops maybe, things along those, uh, along those lines, but it doesn't stop, right? Hopefully you're going to take those learnings home, share those YouTube videos out with your internal teams. At the same time, we have things like the AWS training and certification for the enterprise. So whether, again, you're, you want to do classroom-based training or whether you want to get your team certified, and the fact that the National Australia Bank has that many AWS certified individuals is, is phenomenal, right? Like, like, I would hope that everyone tries to achieve something like that. Um, and again, you just really want to work with the, that team to kind of, you know, further your learning. And then how to do that, um, think about, again, leveraging AWS professional services. Thinking about how you're going to leverage the partner network. Um, we have programs within AWS to help the enterprise figure out how they're going to move over at scale. And it's not necessarily always a, a outsourcing effort in the context of an MSP. They're there to help enable you. So maybe they're in there, again, make, we were talking about that, that CART program where it's like, you know, help me with my security model as part of my migration. Help me with my operational model. Or even help me with people and skills, because that's a really tough one, right? We have partners that specialize in that. We have our professional services teams that can help you as well. And we have programs like our migration acceleration program, which will help customers in the enterprise move over and succeed. So, so with that said, I, I want to say thank you. I hope you had a great conference this week. Hopefully you got something out of this. Um, I'm, I'm happy to talk afterwards. Uh, if you want to talk containers, I'll talk all day. And you know, the last thing I'll say, and if the speakers aren't saying this, again, it's my fourth year, please fill these out. And don't just put the comment or the, you know, the, the numbers in there. Put the comments in. We love reading those as speakers. We use it to make ourselves better. And we also use it to make the sessions better for you guys next year. So please, please, please just do this for all your sessions this week. And with that said, have a great conference. Thank you very much.